Incoming transmission from Hello, this is Londo Malari and we are here at the Dog Track, home of ASE Richmond, welcoming visiting guest Scott Paladin. And today we are doing a special episode of What is this here? Pod Lasso? I'm so proud of that idea right now. <laughs> uh, brilliant. Coming uh, back from that from that musical interlude, whatever the fuck it is. Um, I know. Hello and welcome to the Babylon Project nominally, but tonight we are doing Pod Lasso. Um, <laughs> I am Justin, your host, and tonight we are we got some people. We got some people here. We've got Jude. Anna, and we have returning guests to the program, though when this comes out, you might not have already been a guest. You might <laughs> this might be your first recorded appearance because we recorded this so much in advance. Um <laughs> I don't know when this is being released. Um uh, welcome back to the show, Scott. How you doing? I am doing great, especially because I, I get to talk about Ted Lasso tonight, which is a stunningly good show all of a sudden. Came out of nowhere. Uh and Jude, Anna, how you doing? Doing doing well. Yeah. Uh, I feel like I I will thoroughly second Scott's statement there. Any any time you get to just like chop it up about Ted Lasso is is a good feels time. Yeah, and and I'm the one who just like finally succumbed to the peer pressure, um, like shotgunned the entirety of Ted Lasso in like three days, and then this weekend just shotgunned it all over again. <laughs> It's, it was a good time, folks. It was a good time. It joins a very short list of media, and I'm including movies, TV, and books all in one. I, it's like, I think I can count the number of properties that I've done this with on one hand, where you, you get to the end, and without stopping, you go right back to the beginning. Like, I've read a few books like that, where like where I will get to the end of the book and just be like, nope, not done, and go right back to the beginning. And there's a few movies where like I finished it and immediately started it back up. But Ted Lasso is the first TV series where I uninterrupted went from the went from the end of the last episode, went back through Apple TV's godforsaken Roku app. Um, <laughs> it's so 30, bad. 30 clicks later, found myself back on episode <laughs> one and started it back up. So just to just to warn our listeners, uh, we are going to be. This is going to be a very free-flowing conversation. There's going to be no structure or recap. We are going to be talking about everything up through episode four of season three, or season two. The single greatest Christmas episode of any television series ever made. Yeah. So this is going to happen. There's not going to be any spoilers or anything. I would recommend you watch the series. No, there are going to be spoilers. There's going to be spoilers oh, everywhere. Oh, There's yeah, no sorry. spoiler warnings. Spoiler later. There's going to be no spoiler warnings. There you um, go. Yeah. There, it's yeah. going to be all spoilers, no warnings. Yeah. yeah. There you go. So if you have not watched the show and you care about that sort of thing, go watch the show and then come back to this episode. Otherwise, let our next, however long the fuck we talk about this, be an enticement for you to watch the show, even if it means navigating apple tv's godforsaken app that app is so bad so i have a question for y'all 
Yeah. Um, to to banish the curse of the AFC Richmond uh, training room ghost, what did you burn in the, the trash can? Man, a treasured, most treasured item. I, I, I have my answer, which is when... It's the it's the nerdiest goddamn thing. Um, I was in a I was in an event called Academic Decathlon when I was a teenager, and um, <laughs> it's nerd sports. It's nerd. It's taking uh, taking quizzes competitively, and as a freshman, I walked in uh, to our regional competition, and there are ten events, and I won seven medals, and I still have all of those medals, and that's what's uh, I had, yeah. I could not manage in giving those up unless the situation was dire. That's was what would it be. I have the stupidest picture of me with all of those nerd medals around my neck, going just like huge grin on my face. Nice, yeah, that's 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 super nerdy. That's great. I love that answer. <laughs> all right, so I think for me, it's got to be so. There's a there's a hat that it was a hat that like my mom and I designed together. And then she knit it and I felted it. And it is a hat that has ear flaps and cat ears and cat eyes and a cat nose. <laughs> and that just has a has a lot of a lot of memories. Um, but it's also something that I don't actually wear. So Yeah, that works. Uh I think for me, I think for me. It would be, I have a, I have a clock. It is a wooden clock that is made of a bunch of bars of wood. And it's got lettering, like, just like hardware store stick on numbers for the numbers. Uh, and it's got dials. But the thing that's special about it is that my grandfather made it. He was uh, uh, an architect by trade and like a savant in the garage. Uh, he could make anything. He designed my playground. I still have the blueprints for the swing set he built when I lived in Denver. He just made all kinds of things. And this is like the thing that I remember most about him. I have very few memories of him, but I remember this, this him playing with his clock with me. And it's got his handwriting on it. All the pieces of wood have labels on them that, show, that say what kind of wood they are and uh, so it, I have his handwriting on it. And um, now my son has played with it. I have a lot of good memories of my son playing with it. So I would hate to part with that. So obviously that would be what I would have to burn yeah. for this godforsaken ghost. It would also burn really well, it being wood. It would. Yes, it would keep us all warm while we drink. Mescal. Yeah. I have an easy answer for this. Oh, <laughs> oh no. Oh, oh, oh. oh. <laughs> I would sacrifice Marcus to the burn pile. <laughs> wow. For those of us, who, for everybody who's listening and not watching on the Zoom call that only the four of us are on, <laughs> I have the Justin uh, pulled down an actual action figure onto the screen for that. <laughs> yes. An action figure of Marcus Cole. Yeah. That Jude sent to me. Um, I, I like. I think I posted it on the, on the Twitter before, but it, it's still like truly. I, I joke that it is one of my household gods. <laughs> A fetish in the old sense of the word. Yeah, <laughs> and in the new. Um. So. Okay, so we started off super heavy, and now we've already gone <laughs> right, yeah. back, right back to where we belong. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> That took us, that took us how many minutes? 
It wasn't even a minute. It was like 40 seconds. Yeah. Yeah. We, we just, we want to give you the full emotional whiplash experience. Yeah. Not unlike watching Ted Lasso. Yeah, which... Uh, nice transition. Yes. Excellent segue. So, I think that this is one of those shows that, like, nobody actually watches by, like, because of, because of Apple TV. Um, and <laughs> yeah. there, there are, like, two shows that I know exist on Apple TV, which are this and For All Mankind. Oh, see, for me, it was this and, and C. Because it was the dumbest concept for a show ever that some yet it somehow got a second season and it's also got Aquaman in it. And it was just like the whole fact that this show existed was so preposterous that I, I, I haven't even, I've never watched it, but I was aware of its existence as a consequence of its absurdity. But I, I like so I, I don't think this is a show that anybody like actively like like just randomly finds through scrolling because if like you hit three buttons and you've scrolled through the entirety of Apple's library. Um, so I think this is a show that like primarily gets communicated through word of mouth. So I guess my question is, how'd you like, okay, we, we, we bullied Anna into it mercilessly, yeah. but how did the rest <laughs> of you get the, get into the show? I was aware of it, like in the zeitgeist vaguely, like I'd heard the name, uh, but it was actually uh cat Valenti wrote an essay and the gist of the essay, like I read like the first paragraph and the gist of the essay was this show is super kind and good. And then I just stopped reading and I was like, there might be spoilers. There might not. I don't know. But this sounds like the kind of thing I need right now. And I went and I watched the pilot and I was just like, this show is fucking what is going on with the show? Uh, so I sat and I watched five episodes in a row with Christine, my wife and like, yeah. And then we, we watched the rest of them the next night and then started right back over and watched more. Um, It's just a show that, you know, very much like you hear about it because it's around or like your friends won't shut the fuck up about it. But I don't, I, I only think it's in the last couple of weeks, really since the, the second season started that I have seen, any kind of like press about it despite it's like 20 emmy nominations or something like well, that yeah because right? it murdered the emmys i think yeah yeah similarly mine was um i think i heard adam savage mention it in a one of his youtube videos and his and the description was it will restore your faith in humanity this is the show that will restore your faith in humanity and i was like a, a more ringing endorsement i have never heard and so uh <laughs> yeah immediately went out and sought it out and Sure enough, completely endorse. I will endorse his endorsement. This is a show that will re- restore your faith in humanity. I so I actually have I actually heard press from this like when it came out pretty early because I listen to a lot of sports podcasts because that is my primary like thing. I don't I don't listen to like a lot of media podcasts, but like I follow sports and so like one of the shows I listened on back in like. June of last year or something had Jason Sudeikis on and I was like why is Jason Sudeikis on a football podcast um (laughs) and um it was to and it was to talk about Ted Lasso and I was like okay this is interesting and like it's weird because it's like pretty much like all of the sports illuminati that I follow on Twitter for all talking about the show I'm like okay I've got to give it a try at least and yeah, this coincided with me getting like 
a little bit into soccer and <laughs> like and, and yeah by the first time i watched it i was like this show is perfect um and i in fact just recommended it to a friend of mine who's brazilian and watches the premier league and i was like kelvin watch this show right now just stop and go just go watch it just right now i look forward to hearing their reaction you have to tell us what they yeah, think about yeah. it well so I say, in case there's anybody who maybe doesn't care about spoilers and but doesn't know what we're talking about should we give them just the briefest of summary of what the concept conceit is okay yeah. sure yeah um so for it's the plot of major league um basically it's a woman gets a gets a english premier league team in her divorce with her scumbag husband and decides that as punishment to her husband she's going to destroy the one thing in life that he loves which is his team and so she hires an american division 2 foot uh, american football coach to coach a mid-table Premier League team. This is a concept that I was initially very wary of because it sounds cringe as fuck. <laughs> yeah, it does. Yeah. That was my initial fear of it, is that it was going to be all fish-out-of-water jokes. Yeah, it's it's amazing that such a, like, it's such a bad idea for a show that it manages to be so, like, genuine and kind in a situation where it could normally have been so incredibly bad. Because I think that's its, that is more than, even more than, like, it's about a, you know, a Division II football coach that goes in Premier League. That is what it is, is it is a show that takes every opportunity where you expect it to be, to do the cringy, awkward American sitcom thing. It chooses to not do that and do something unexpected and where possible, the like most heart, like not sappy heartwarming, but like genuine, kind heartwarming thing. That's what's yeah. so fucking bananas about this show. It is so good. It's not just that it's like, it's insane to me that this show got made. No network could have made this show. They would have made it so saccharine, tacky, like hollow. It would never have worked. But Jason, Jason Sudeikis just wanted to make a show about a kind person. Yeah. And so you get this. It's what's wild. I'm going to just keep talking. I know you want to say something, but I don't care. Because um, <laughs> I do want to mention at the top here, the origins of the show, which were a bit that he that he was hired to do for, I think it was Sports Center NBC. or NBC, NBC, when they got the Premier League to show Premier League games in the US, he invented this character as an American, like an NFL coach who took on a premier league team and several like scenes from the show are actually direct copies of scenes from the commercials. But what's really cool. You go watch those commercials and then you watch the show. You can see where he made the decision to make the show kinder to make the show kind. And you can see how those, those scenes he's copying transform the character and transform the energy of those scenes. Uh, it's, it's brilliant to watch them side by side and you can see him doing that thing trying to make ted lasso kind not just a bit but like a kind person it's great well i mean one thing that i've like i've listened to like an extensive interview with brendan hunt who is he plays coach beard on the show and he's one of the lead writers on the show um that's specifically about like when 
they went to they went to make this with uh, Ted Lawrence, who is the creator or, or who is like one of the executive producers on the show. People listening to this would probably recognize him either. But they would recognize him from Scrubs or if you were a little bit older, Spin City. <laughs> I'm like, how many of the audience my age would know Spin City? <laughs> not many. Bill Lawrence, not Ted Lawrence. Bill Lawrence, Bill Lawrence. Um, I don't know why I got Ted Lawrence. But like, Ted, Ted Lawrence. Lawrence. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, it's Bill Lawrence. Um, and so there's a lot of DNA, I think, from Scrubs specifically. Yeah. That yeah, for there. sure. Yeah. Uh, it's got some of the some of the better parts of Scrubs. Yeah. The, the earnestness and like the the yes, the loving between the characters. Yeah. And like there's a reason that I've watched through like the first six seasons of Scrubs probably about 10 times. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like it's legitimately what got me through my undergrad, like yeah. the 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 one thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I know you exactly can, what you mean. You can see that the bones of a show that really like loves people and loves the char- like loves its characters and loves the people they could be in Scrubs that gets trans. Like this is almost the same sort of idea, but grown up and like just taken to its yeah. It's extra- you know, and like Scrubs is a show that absolutely has showed its age like oh yeah it does not hold up other than like weirdly the medical stuff itself has held up fairly well because it's all mundane yeah it's not about people fucking their patients <laughs> sorry we had to drop the b5 continual bit here yeah um, it's- <laughs> I, um i i think so something that is interesting about the show and i mean the show is about human connection i mean i think it's like it is kind of as a result of that but the the game, but the or the the show is entirely like the the show is entirely about people and human connection relationships. Yeah, because that's because mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. Ted's thing. Well, but even beyond Ted, most of the most of the characters make connections, like real connections with other ones, and usually are better for oh, it. No, yeah, no, yeah. I get that. I'm saying, but that's like I think Ted's yeah Ted's philosophy sort of imbues the show. Sure. Okay. Like his philosophy of like. What do you love in in the episode? Um, God, what, what which episode is it in? Episode three, I think. Trent Krim, the Independent. Thank you. Yes, um, where he's uh, he, he they're eating Indian food, and he asks, "What do you what do you love?" And he says, "You love writing, right?" Me, I love coaching, and he he loves finding the best in all these people and lifting it up, and that. That ethos, I feel like, is uh, across the show, sort of is is throughout the whole show, is about all these people finding the best in each other and themselves and lifting it up. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, and I, I had kind of like not avoided the show, but had not really given it a chance up until like last week because I know nothing about sports. Nothing. Um, like the most I know about soccer is like when, you know, they play in Luxembourg. He was in high school. That's sorry. That's a deep cut reference <laughs> that like only Zathras will get. <laughs> no, it's a, it's a sports night, man. Oh yes. A man of culture. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, like watching my now husband, then boyfriend playing games in high school and knowing nothing about it, but being like, yeah. yay. And like. The one thing I know about soccer is that it's important that you play as a team. Like, that it's not about any individual player, but it's about the team. And that's it. That That is it. 
And so I, I wasn't sure that the show would be accessible to me, but it really is, especially especially since Ted, as a POV character, knows nothing about soccer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, How is that so, sides? No, really, I don't understand. Tell me. <laughs> so something that I absolutely love is that in the pilot, when they're on the plane, there is a book that Coach Beard is reading, uh, which is called Inverting the Pyramid. Which is an actual book that I have that like I read last year. It's a fantastic book about the history and like it, the history of the t- of tactics of soccer. Um, it's really fascinating. It is a it was one of the things that was like immediately got me as a sports fan. I'm like, oh, that's a cool thing because it like it goes over stuff of like how football like you know the evolution of football up from like starting in like the 19th century as as referenced in the show, a way to get uh, young boys to stop masturbating at private schools. <laughs> Just as an aside, the number of things that our, our, our modern life are built around that were invented to stop Victorian boys from masturbating is surprisingly high, <laughs> including breakfast cereal and... <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't have a... I feel like there should be a deeper comment there, but like, it's why do you strange. care that much? Because moralism, um, I do, I do like Victorians do, were perverts. They, I mean, yeah, they love nipple rings. Wow, that was not the rejoinder I was expecting. There, uh, no, they, they really did though. They, they really did. It's one of those things that it's like history. History is not is not believable. People like when they hear the actual facts, they think it doesn't sound right, and that's one of them. Victorians were freaks in the bed. They love nipple rings. They love tattoos. Yeah, and there was I mean, there. There's also a reactionary wave that happens in response to that, which is where a lot of that which is where a lot of that comes from because it tends to dominate like popular culture and the 30 years later of people interpreting that and saying like, Oh, well, like Dracula is not a horny novel or whatever. Um, <laughs> uh, and it's, yeah, it, it's truly, truly uh, so something I, that I did want to talk about with like the show is that, is that like as an evolution of like Scrubs is like a show about human connections and kindness is that it isn't one of the most possibly toxic environments there. Things have gotten better in that regard, especially across like sports is like sports is the monoculture it is, but like there, there's a lot of like de- popular depictions of, of like locker room culture as the most possible, the possibly the most toxically masculine of all environments. Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. But like, I mean, and um, I mean, medical training is also an incredibly yeah. toxic environment. Yeah, yeah. And, and the the show working through that and uh, and instead fostering a very um, like it, it's a like by the time you got to season two, like even with the the team in a very big like on field rut off the field and in the locker room, they're a rather harmonious bunch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's not like they're not scoring goals and everything. They just keep getting unlucky, culminating in the poor, poor Earl. Oh, poor Earl. <laughs> poor Earl. Okay. Uh, because my wife's not here, I will I will confess that I watched the first episode of season two without her because I couldn't. It it cropped up. Like, I was up late working and, you know, it hit the de- the deadline when it came out. So I watched it, which I'm so glad I did because I was fully prepared for what, what was coming. So I was able to look away and watch her face 
as the ball hit Earl and the sound. So I was not looking at the screen when I heard the, I was watching her and her reaction. I wish I'd filmed it. Her reaction, because she's like, she was so sure it wasn't going to happen. And then she heard the noise and her whole body went flinched up away from the sound. It was, it was, it was, it was, a, it was a, a true television moment. It was, it was terrific. I was very, very pleased. Yeah, that, that, that is truly like one of the moments of just like, oh, I need to get up and like walk away <laughs> um, because it's like. It's possibly the most morbid thing I've laughed at this year. Yeah. Um, like, I feel bad <laughs> yeah. for laughing at it, but it's still just like, it's truly horrid. Yeah. But yeah. it's also like, what a freak occurrence, though, yeah. right? And it's, yeah. it's because it's so ridiculous. And of all the people yeah. for it to happen to. Oh, God. To Danny. To Danny of all people. Uh, the, the the human Pokemon. Well, what, what, what is a... Uh... The human Labrador Retriever. Yeah. yeah what is, what is uh, Ted, how does Ted call him a... A human, a human golden, raven-haired golden retriever. Raven-haired yeah. golden retriever. Yeah, like yeah. Or, or um, Denny's a lot like a like a expensive tape measure. <laughs> he snaps back real fast. <laughs> okay, that actually, I have a question. Mm-hmm. Who is your favorite Richmond player? Oh, <sighs> okay. Can can we like can we say that we have to rule out Sam because yeah. Sam is the obvious. Yeah. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm also like, going to say you, I'm also going to rule out Roy because he's he's ah, not. Dang it! There goes mine. He's not a player in <laughs> season two, but you're yeah. So just your favorite, your favorite bit, like your favorite bit player. Yeah, not Sam and not Roy because those are those are too too obvious. Although I'm with you with Roy. If it were if Roy were an option, yeah. I would pick Roy because okay, no man, no no living human has command of the word fuck as purely as as Brett Goldstein. It's. Yeah, tremendous, and we—I know that's on the the, the outline. Yeah, to talk yeah, we, about. Need, we have we to, get need to discuss that. So I will. So hold on, I, I have a, I have a I have a thing for. There is uh, Arlo White who does the um who's the the voice of AFC Richmond in Ted Lasso. He is also like he does commentary for ESPN. He is also the I believe he's the most commonly he's the voice of the U.S. Women's National Team. Interesting. Like, like he's on ESPN and stuff. Like, it's a common thing for like Bush McCall. Like, note, uh, he'll do like note cards for matches for like a couple quick things for various players. There we go. There we go. Found it. So there's a list of them for the season one finale. So my personal, my favorite, from, my favorite from the list of season one is probably uh, Terry Zoro. Oh yeah, Zoro. Zoro, yes. <laughs> um, first of all, because he's a huge To fan, <laughs> but yeah, he like and he's he's Canadian, which is delightful. He, he's from Montreal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In season two, however, it's Jan Moss, uh, who's, oh, yeah. who's the Dutch player. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, he's not being rude. He's just Dutch. Yeah. yeah. Uh, or. Oh, is is fried chicken a a, a Dutch Christmas dish? No, and uh, no, no. no. <laughs> uh, I think for me, uh, it's got to be Isaac, uh, the mm-hmm. the, oh, new, yeah. the the new captain in season two. Yeah, yeah, he's really good. Uh, for 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 the uh, the moment, he's come a long way. Yeah, he he comes. He's come a a long way. Yeah, yeah, he has a huge turnaround from being kind of a a Jamie's tool. Yeah, he used to be a Jamie sink fan. Yeah, to hurling the chair at the TV with the best line 
made one of my favorite lines in the show. Oops, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then Roy, well said. Like, <laughs> that's so good. And that's the and then, moment that, you know, that is the moment in which Roy has selected his, his, his successor. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. The guy that throws the chair at the TV. Oh, man. I, I kind of feel like Colin because he's such a dumbass excellent yeah. choice too yeah yeah and he also starts off as such a, a little twerp yeah and he continues to be a little yeah, he's, twerp. But he just continues to be a twerp the entire time the thing i like about colin is that he's a twerp but he's not malicious about it he's just an idiot like he's just an idiot yeah i also really really love when he's he talks about how roy had hit it he's like he, he nutted me earlier today They're, i'm still dizzy they told me not to drink and then immediately takes a swig of <laughs> yeah. beer <laughs> was he the one that ripped his butt muscle or is that somebody else no that's their other goalie whose name i forget um bumper catch no, no it's i yeah. think it's martin demott looking at that yeah that's right no it was my look it's my upper cap you ripped your butt son no shame <laughs> it's okay coach has ripped his butt hasn't he three times yeah three times <laughs> <laughs> i i think for mine i'd have to say richard uh, the French player yeah. who <laughs> so a living bit. So good. <laughs> Who's just a bit. Yeah. And I love the fact that he's got the super heavy accent. And the only thing we know about him is that he sleeps with supermodels. In fact, the thing he throws in the fire is the, is sand from the first place he slept with a supermodel. Yeah. And he's super broken no, no, up no, about it. No, no, not the first place. The first beach. <laughs> the first beach. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but he's also super broken up about it. Like he doesn't, he hasn't become cynical about it at all. Yeah, yeah. and then and then who's there to like comfort him? But fucking, um, what's his name? Um, Colin, Colin, right? Who comes Colin, in? Yeah, you know. And and Colin, Colin also tosses in the keys to his to his uh, Lamborghini. Lamborghini. How are you going to get home? <laughs> that episode has one one of my other favorite lines, which is when Ted strikes the match and is about to throw it in the thing. Oh, yeah. And coach is like, how about we do that part outside? Like, God, that's, every time. that's a really that's good. such good delivery. Cause coach, uh, his beard is such a fucking brilliant character. The way that they, yeah, I love beard navigate him be t- being so deadpan most of the time. And then when he, when he breaks that deadpan and the, like, it's so good. Yeah. God, and he's so in sync with yeah. Ted. That character is a masterclass in how to make a character more effective by using them less. If they if they used Breard any more, if they give him any more time, he starts to become boring. But they they cut him down so much that when he shows up, you go, "Hey, wait, Beard? Yeah, like yeah. your eyes immediately go to him when he moves." You know, I, I I got my sister into this through proxy back in May um, for uh, Memorial Day weekend. I went up to visit my uh, parents, and my mom. At the time, like, they've recently upgraded, but they did not have stable Wi-Fi up at their place, or at least, like, a stable internet connection that, like, streaming could be done on. So I literally downloaded every single episode and brought it up to them. <laughs> and so then they've got... And, 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 so, and like, I infected my, my mom with this. And so then she, she forced my sister to watch it when she visited a couple weeks ago. And my sister just realized... I'm Coach Beard. And I was like, I knew there was a reason. I knew there was a reason it was tripping something. <laughs> I was just like, it's just, it's such, he's such a good character. I'm just like, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's the exact proof of like, you can do like, it's more, less is more. Yeah. 
you know, you know who he reminds me of? Toby Ziegler from West Wing. Except not full of himself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the the like deadpan, the like understated jokes. Yeah, yeah. Toby oh. at his best is is like beer. It's like it's like Toby Ziegler if Toby Ziegler went to therapy. Yeah. yeah. And took himself somewhat less seriously. Yeah. 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 I do also like that, like, or he's one of the few people who, like, calls Ted on himself. Because I think one thing that the show has done occasionally, and I think is going to explore a little bit more in season two, at least I have a theory that is going to, is going to show the downsides of Ted's positivity. Mm-hmm. Because I I, th- I I think they're like we've already seen him uh, lose his wife over it. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it's I mean specifically about how that can affect his work. Yeah. Because at the at, at the start at the end of season one, he is rather blasé about the possibility of relegation. But te- but like Beard is the one who is like, no, people lose their jobs over this. Like you know. And and points out it's like you know this isn't this isn't college people are getting paid this is an important thing and importantly says it also just it matters to me like his closest friend is like this is not something that you know you can keep throwing away forever when it's you know the people you care about are also being hurt by it <laughs> even if it just is because we don't want to lose yeah. you know yeah no I I think you're very correct Justin the his conversation with the sports psychiatrist where where she's like he's asking for her opinion of how things are. And she's like, you're, you've built a great atmosphere here. And he's like, so, so if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And she's like, it depends on your def If you're, it depends on if your definition of ain't broke includes what, whatever their current record is. And you can see his face is like, Oh fuck. And that's the point at which he goes out and brings Jamie in. Yeah. I really want the two of them to actually sit down. Well, that's what they're building towards. It seems yeah. like where we where we sit in the in the season right now, it, it feels like they're aiming at that point, and that'll be the inflection point for the season. Yeah, because because we're four episodes in. It's a twelve episode season for season two, and we we have to we have to walk through the idea. I'm mean, like, they're they're going through like a realistic depiction of like people who are like, I've had a bad experience with a therapist before, and I've been burned by it, and. So wary about re-entering that process, um, and like that's and like that's a show that like the show is earned enough faith that I'm like I am looking forward to that conversation and them dismantling it in some way. Sidebar: I am legitimately horrified that Ted and his wife's couples therapist was her therapist because that is just like oh yeah that's horrific. But that happens. Yeah. That happens a lot in like real life. Yeah. It shouldn't. It shouldn't. <laughs> yeah, but, but it's it like a massive breach of ethics. It's a yeah, it's yeah. a conflict of interest. Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, yeah it's yeah. like people like you know that is just because it's like, hey, I'm seeing a therapist right now. It's helping me. We can maybe talk about, and like that's how it, like you know that happens in real life. And I like it's a really like what happens is like, and it's a pretty plausible outcome. I mean, like Ted takes it like better than most people, but I like it's, um, but it's like it's it's a very. I think realistic depiction of it. And I think it's like, I don't, I don't blame Ted for being really wary yeah. after that experience. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, I mean, I have like, you know, like I had some bad experiences as a child with therapy. And so it's like, you know, I had to really work past that stuff. And it's like, I still have some hangups and yeah, but yeah, it's, but it's a very actually, 
it, it, it brings to mind a theme I was thinking about that, that season one does over and over again, which is that idea of you have to do the hard thing to get better, to heal. There's the, like multiple times over and over, they, they keep showing like there's a thing that you don't want to do. You, you know, it's going to hurt. It's going to be bad, but you need to rip the bandaid off and do it as much as, you know, talking to the person that you're scared of, committing, admitting, admitting to something that you did wrong, um, like Rebecca does. All these things are going over and over. And even even Ted went through one stage of this where it was, I have to let my wife go. You know, I have to initiate the divorce um, so that I can start to get better. So, like, you can see where this cycle is going, that it's this thing that he knows he doesn't want to do. and It's going to be painful, but he's going to have to face it at some point in order to improve. And I think I think it's helping that she is warming up to him, too. Like, that... Um... I think as she feels less like an outsider, I think he'll open up to her more. Like, and not just the Ted being everyone's pal opening up type thing. We're like, we're like, he'll yammer on about nothing forever. Yeah, the, the scene where he's talking to her and she goes, this is interesting. It's really good. Her reaction there is great. Yeah, that... I- I have to say, I like the fact, like, they immediately start making her a little weird, which everybody in the show is a little bit weird. But that that kind of, in, you're giving us just enough of an indication that this is an actual character here yeah. who has her little folding bike and doesn't eat sugar because apparently it, like, actually does something to her. Yeah. <laughs> like, she, <laughs> she, yeah. she hulks out or something. Oh, like, um, and I, yeah. 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 Although- I, I that that scene that scene where she says that she doesn't eat sugar is so interesting. Yeah. Because. You know, she's just like, well, I don't eat sugar at all because I don't like the, you know, I don't want, I don't, don't like its effect on me, which is legitimate. And then Ted's also, Ted's point is also fairly legitimate of like, it seems like you're denying yourself something that you really like, you know, rather than adjusting your relationship with it. And it's like, goodness, if only these two would actually talk to each other. Other than being snarky. Yeah. 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 I think like I think that's like the the relationship between Dr. Fieldstone, right? Which is such a good name. I like Fieldstone is a good British names are very like they can be like excellent. Um, but Dr. Fieldstone like Rebecca and Ted was the like was the important relationship of season one. And I think like Fieldstone and Ted is going to be the important relationship to season two, especially if I we sort of already got like what the proposed layout for like the season is, which is going to be um, getting Richmond up to the promotion zone. And I know like I can guess how it's going to happen. I'm very excited to see how they're going to subvert my expectation on this um, <laughs> because the most likely scenario I see this going for Richmond is going to be like the most dramatic and will be like the one where I pulling up my hair waiting for the next week. Because, okay, we we should probably explain how promotion or relegation works for. Yeah, I was going to say, Justin, to, as the person who knows nothing about sports, please tell me how football works. <laughs> okay. So, um, in American sports, if you suck, you suck, and that's it. There's no, there's no, there's no, there's nothing wrong with sucking in in American sports generally. Yeah, the consequence is you draft better. Yeah, the the uh, American sports are hilariously almost socialist. Um, with or is or is it Mario Kart rules where the fa- the more ahead you are, the le- the less effective all your power ups are. 
a little bit. I mean, it's but the idea is like the worst team in the league will like get the best draft position, like league or something. And there's no real problem with losing. Like there's no there's nothing wrong because it's all corporatized and like there's 30 teams in your league that's never going to change. With, with like association football, soccer, there is an entire structure. Like theoretically, if the four of us could go onto a pitch somewhere, recruit a team, and enter in at the lowest tier of English football. And we could try to ascend the ranks. And, like, you know, God forbid, like, we could become a professional team if we get high enough, and we could get to the Premier League. Like, this is a... Like, you could theoretically do this. Like, um, there is a team that I love called AFC Wimbledon, which, um, in a rare instance, lost their team... And had it moved, which never happens. Yeah, it was uh, Wimbledon FC originally, and then they and they had to form a new one, AFC Wimbledon. The only reason I know this is because uh, John Green played a bunch of FIFA on YouTube, and I watched yes. a bunch of those videos. <laughs> um, so, so like they moved to Milton Keynes, and like Wimbledon did not have a team anymore. So oh they, my god! Um, so they made their own team called AFC Wimbledon, and they have they are in fact one of two clubs that have never been relegated which is what happens when you're at the bottom of your league you go into the you go into the lower league and the teams at the top of the lower league go into your league so what happens at the end of season one is that uh, richmond finishes 17th or no 18th and they get relegated here here's where it gets confusing (coughs) the top league in uh england is called the premier league the second tier which richmond is currently in is called the championship um and I want you to guess what is the league below this called? I will. I will. Uh, the Stanley Cup. <laughs> the Heisman. It's called. No, it's called League One. <laughs> <laughs> so you have League One, which is the third tier of English football. The where you pr- where you premiere second- your team, <laughs> <laughs> and the Premiership, which is the top tier. It's fucking stupid it's backwards you premiere oh. your team in league one then you oh, there's there's leagues three and four and five. it keeps going down from yeah, there because leagues it, all the way down yeah, it's league one league two the vonorama national league and then like local leagues and and then you get like to the the semi-professional stuff it's bizarre um but yeah so like in the way that league the way that the championship works is that they have like the top two teams automatically get promoted and then the third through six teams go into a playoff for the last spot to get promoted. So three teams go up and three teams come down. Yep. Um, And if I'm writing Ted Lasso, I'm like, Oh, they're going to sneak in like into the sixth position. They're going to have to go into the playoff. And like, that's Mm. what's going to happen. It's going to be dramatic as hell. That's just, that's just what has to happen. Um, And um. And that's interesting because I like as much as I was really hoping that they would not be relegated in season one, I knew they would be. Like the the season couldn't have ended any other way. Well, once you have they got picked up for season two while they were still working on season one. Mm-hmm. So once you know there's a season two, they have to be relegated. Yeah. There's no way. Which wasn't their original intention. Like they they didn't they didn't th- like they thought it was going to be like a save it by the skin of our teeth thing when they originally did it, but like Bill Warren says, no, they should lose. And they think like, it's going to be more interesting. It's going to be like, it's going to be a better story if they lose. And you get to see like where this goes. Yeah. Um, and now, you know, it, it 
brings up a lot more external challenges for them to deal with. Like they've got the money problem right now yep. where the, the club is now hemorrhaging money because they're paying the players based off of their premier um, mm -hmm. salaries, but they're bringing in championship money. Yeah, they yeah, yeah. And they're screwing with their sponsors now, too. Yeah. Yeah. Could you also explain this whole like loan thing? Okay. So <laughs> we just had a giant thing about that in the Discord. So, so <laughs> yes, and I still don't understand. <laughs> so basically, like, we're going to condense this down really. <laughs> so in American sports, like, players run out their contracts and they'll become free agents. Um, that's like, and you can like trade players and stuff. It's all very structured. Football has a libertarian hellscape for how that works. Um, <laughs> relatively. Um, so like there are two ways you can, you can move players around. Um, you can sell their contract. Like you can basically like teams can arrange basically transfers, which are basically like, we're going to pay a bunch of money for the rights to negotiate a contract and move that player to us. You know, like, and you can see, like, with the top players, like, we can talk, like, literally figures in excess of, like, a hundred million, like, hundred million dollars moving between clubs for, like, and that's not even, like, going into player contracts. Um, that's, like, the that's the way that, like, players change teams most of the time. However, there's also loans, which is, interesting um basically loans are a uh, one club saying to another we would like the short-term services of this player normally it's for like six months a, a season or two um which are basically for a player like jamie who is in his early 20s and is a by all accounts very 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 talented young striker but an asshole what yeah and an asshole loans are usually arranged so players can get experience against good competition so that like you like uh basically like it's we cannot internally develop this player any further and they just need to get like matches in to develop further but we don't have room in our squad or we we have players who are better than them um who can like who should be getting played type because we want to win um so, like, Jamie's situation in Season 1 is Manchester City, which is a titan right now in English football. Um, they've won several of the last... They've won a number of titles in the last few years um, after being, like, a complete nothing, but that's a whole other thing. Um, but basically, they're loading out Jamie because they want Jamie to get experience become a better player so much that he can replace, like, whoever's their current player at that position they also probably are loading him out because they don't want him around it's basically a thing of like go grow up we want you when you're like 26 and you're a normal person i could also imagine that like if he's kind of like that he's very good at his position but if there's somebody who they have who's better at his position jamie would be inssufferable yeah it's it's like it's like he's, he's bad enough when he is the best yeah. Can you imagine if there was somebody who was better than him? Yeah, which is what happens at the end of like season two or season one, which is where he's yeah. like, you know, he's coming on for like 12 minutes. Like he, he met like like when he visits Keely, he's like, I get stuff done on the 78th 
uh, 78th minute, he took a free kick, scored a goal. You know, he's just like, he's very blase about it. Um, but it, it's like, you know, dude's only seen like 12 minutes a time match, which is like not a lot. That's you're, it's like he's a rotation player like in Man City. But yeah, it, it's like Jamie's situation is basically like it is agreement between two clubs of like Richmond is getting a quality player who like will fulfill a need for them and they don't have to go through like the entire process of buying this player who's probably way out of their price range. And Man City gets to like dump off a player who needs to grow and is probably not the best environment for their locker room. And it's sort of like Loans are sort of a win-win. Like the the loaning team will cover most of a salary, so it's like it, it's it's a very like interesting. Yeah, it's a very unique thing. Like in sports, it's sort of uh, like the position he's in, where like in episode six, two aces, where Jamie's loan gets terminated. There's enough going on there that you can sort of lead speculations for how that ended. But basically, the what we were able to like what you can suss out from like the intricacies, like the intricacies of the episode is that like Manchester City called said like, "Hey, why'd you take off our player in the first half?" <laughs> Point of order: uh, uh, Rebecca admits to it instigating the retraction of the loan. Right. She says that she mm-hmm. instigated it, which to me says that she called them. But that's my. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but even so, it's it's reasonable to assume that Man City would be like the whole point of this loan is is to is to play this this asshole and like a dog like taking a dog to 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 daycare to to wear him out so when he comes home he's more manageable and if he's just sitting around he he's going to come back all antsy and anxious and he's going to chew on somebody's expensive shoes so if you're not going to run him then we'll send him someplace else my dog heard you talking about it and is now staring at the door okay uh i we need to talk about Brett Goldstein at some point. Yeah. Uh, yes. Oh my God. Uh, I did not know going into this and I don't know if you all know the story of how he ended up in that role. Oh my God. I love this story. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's great. The fact that he, please, please tell that he was originally a writer on the show and he's, he's uh, a writer and actor in England. And he wrote, an, he wrote a bunch of the episodes and as he was writing it, he's like, fuck, I really want to play Roy. But I can't tell anybody that. So that's going to be weird and people are going to get fucking strange about it. So he gets all the way through the writing, turns in the last episode, then records a, a demo of himself like on his phone. Sends it to Jason Sudeikis and the guy who plays Beard. I forget the, the, the guy's name and is like, apparently the email he sends to, to Jason Sudeikis is like, here's the thing. If you don't like it, that's fine. Fuck you. Don't don't ever mention it again. Fuck you. Goodbye. The most Roy yeah. thing ever. You mean? I honestly like that is such a mood for like. Please, if if you don't like this, please do, please do not observe it. Yeah. Uh, we never have to talk about it ever again. Just yeah. Just <laughs> yeah. Whatever. And the response was apparently like, "You are the perfect person to play this role. We we don't even need to like look at anybody else." And they didn't. They they never even tested anybody else. No, no. He's so good at it. Yeah. And they were done. And God the fuck bless them. Yeah. Because he has such tremendous. You believe him completely in this role. Yeah. And yeah, he has such. I mean, yes. So we absolutely have to talk about the way his his command of the word fuck. 
I've it's so fucking good. It's yeah. just yeah, he's he's so good with it, but also he just he's such a good character. I love that he is a character who he's a man who is known primarily for being angry all the time. Nate's speech about him being, you know, you used to what what was it? He, you used to used to run you used to run, uh, run, uh, run like you were mad at the grass you used to kick the ball like it had fucked like your wife caught it fucking your wife that's right yeah you kind of, like that was what he was famous for and yet he's also like the single like most intuitive and like wise person on the show when it comes to kids mm-hmm. like the combination of those two traits fucking slays me and he's and he's so like he's such a good partner to Keely as well oh yeah oh yeah the He's, oh my god, the way their relationship do, uh, ta- does not follow the path you would expect a sitcom relationship to follow. Yeah. Where like they start getting together, they talk about their feelings. He goes away for a minute, talks it to some other people, and comes back within the same episode and is like, okay, I'm done. I'm done being mad. Let's just do yeah. this. And like not that is unheard of on yeah, television. It's a great <laughs> yeah. microcosm of of how Ted Lasso subverts the expectation that sitcoms have given you. Because that would have been like a six episode, will they, won't they, circle jerk nonsense. And in this one, they're just like, we're adults. They talk about it. The Diamond Dogs fucking solve this problem. And they go back and now they're like, great. And in the most, in the Christmas episode, or the the one before that, where he first does his first on-air thing, they're, the, the humanness of their relationship is so good. And he's a guy... Like that is, uh, he's just terrific. His, he just really likes Keely and his openness with her is so good. Yeah. And then he swears a lot and he's really good at it. Yeah. He's just really, really good at it. I think that's something that is like very important to like Roy's character is that he is an angry person. Like he's allowed to be angry and that's allowed to be like a defining characteristic of him. But um, I like it's very like it's very evident throughout the show that like he knows that and he knows how to deal with it because what he is not he's not violent yeah which I think is a huge thing for like like I, I like I think a, like a, a a good subplot of the season one is like Roy learn like Roy is one of the few people who is allowed to be the butt of a joke on the show and like and part of that is because like he does some he does some stuff that is like toxic that is just like that he does but like even then like he gets around really fast for like like when he whips that around he does it pretty fast and he's also never like he never like apart from like at jamie he never really goes at anybody which i think is like the only times i can think of him actually being violent are when he headbutts colin who absolutely deserved it um yeah. And when he goes after Jamie, in both of those times, he was defending Nate. No, yeah. uh, one time he's defending Sam, actually. Sam gets not, uh, tackled and is right. on the ground, and Jamie walks over him, and Roy yeah. goes after him. And it's it's him protecting the people around him that, he start, that he's starting to care about, and like his yeah. team. And the bench. And, yeah. Yeah, he, he murders that bench. Yeah, the bench, I think, is like, I get it, like, uh, is, that is a, that is entirely, like, that's a, that is not a... 
Like that's not a violent thing. It is a I that's that's sort of like the weird like sports yeah. thing. On and the I, on the scale I, of, of sports toxic masculinity, blow, tearing up a bench is pretty low. Well, and it's it's very much for him, very much like a it's a manifestation of of his anger. It's not a I mean, it's an act of violence, but only in the most like English sense. It's not toward a person. Yeah. yeah, it's not toward a person. And you can also imagine that he's a little bit doing that as a show for the the team. The team yeah. that he's a captain of. So he's he's doing something that is like, okay. It's like it's like Isaac throwing the chair. Yeah, yeah. He's it's like this is a thing that the team needs to see happen yeah. now. So that because that the moment he does that, he turns around and is like, let's go, and everybody explodes, yeah. you know. And, and in that sense, just demonstrates some of the leadership that he needed to be showing during that time. <laughs> Am uh, I the little girl? I'd like you to be. <laughs> it's it's like I love I love the bit with the book sitting yeah. in bed with Phoebe. He's fuck, fuck. He's this long drawn out. Yeah, line. as he as it all falls down on him, he's like, God damn it, he was right. I, yeah, yeah. I think I, oh and and at the same time, he's there. He's there reading to Phoebe. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and like at the Christmas, and like I do love like at the Christmas episode, like you get to see oh, yeah. like how much he cares. Like he's like, it's Christmas. I'm going to take my little niece like door to door to find a dentist. We're going around my stoop, my fancy fucking neighbors. And if you don't, if we don't find a dentist in ten houses, you each get a thousand pounds. Well, and I love that he. <laughs> That's so funny. On, while on that rant, they like they run into the kid. the The kid that is at the door who overhears him talking about shitting himself on the bus that that scene that whole scene yeah. where they're talking to phoebe and she's like and keely's like finish the story a couple of weeks ago yeah and then the kid is still at the door listening and in again they subvert your expectations because you expect him to be like fuck off or something like that and instead yeah, yeah. he immediately connects with the kid and he's like we should knock that out should we should knock that off shouldn't we and the kid's like, yeah. if you can do it, I yeah. can do it. And he's like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Roy is so good. He, for God, he's just like. I love him teaching the kid's team. Like, yeah. he, he needs to keep doing that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you have to imagine being the oldest player on teams for a few years. He has to have been, gotten a lot of experience dealing with immature yeah. people. <laughs> in the form of all the footballers <laughs> that were around and him. And like, yeah, it's like, you know, he's been like, you know, like, I, I, I think. Do they give his age in the show? Because it's like for some reason, born in eighty. He's he's thirty nine. He was date of birth June seventh, nineteen eighty two. So he's like thirty nine. Okay. Yeah, because he's been he's been playing professionally for for, um, because I think I think like as a kid he was sent to like a you know that he got a scholarship to some sort of posh school. Yeah. yeah. Um. You know, so that they could play him at soccer. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, well, or specifically, this is another weird. Europe thing, but like because European football does not work off of the weird system of using our colleges as a farm system for professional talent. Um, I'm looking at UNCA and your fucking weirdness. Um, <laughs> exploiting, um, yeah. What, what clubs will do is they will have youth academies, uh, which are basically like I guess the equivalent of like. It's it's like every like junior league you see that like soccer moms will enroll their thing will enroll their kids in, except it's like teams will go like teams set these up and have like proper facilities to like train kids. Um, yeah, yeah. 
It's like it's like if your Pee Wee football team was sponsored by the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah. And like <laughs> and you know, and like and was owned by them. Yeah. And like and like was working directly to like recruit for them. So like um the, the club that Roy or, or uh that came up through is Sunderland AFC, which is in the north, north, northeast of England. Um it is about as far away from London as you can possibly get. <laughs> Which is which is a nice little touch because Sunderland actually has like a pretty like has a prestigious youth academy there and is notable for like bringing up a lot of players and so it's like it's a nice little fictional touch there, but yeah, I so I like that like players like the uh, like that Roy, like that Roy like for example like he doesn't score a lot of goals he's just like he's just a midfielder he's just like he plays really angry and he tackles well and that's that's it. Uh, <laughs> Runs down Jamie fucking Tart. Yeah. Yes. His last <laughs> his last act as a professional football player is to tackle Jamie Tart, which is brilliant. Oh, and and rewatching that episode after knowing how it ends is so wild because you know he's you know he's talking to Ted about what they should do because you know they're both realizing that he can't be on the starting lineup um, if they're going to have any form of a shot at this game. Um, and Ted's like, you know, you could, we could just say that you're injured and then that gives you a chance to go somewhere else next year and your career won't die. And, you know, and Roy makes the choice that, you know, no, he's going to show up there. He's going to be on the second team. He's going to give up the captaincy. And then he goes out on that pitch and he obliterates his knee. Yeah. And his career is over. Like, there's no going to the U.S. and dominating there or anything like that. His career is just over. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and he'd already expressed how, you know, worried he was about, what if I'm no longer a footballer? Like, what, what am I yeah. going to do with the rest of my life? That comes true yeah. immediately. And yeah. it turns out he's a terrific pundit. And and peewee football yeah. coach. <laughs> one of my, one yes. of my favorite, like, little bits in the show is uh, the three jackasses in the pub that ted goes oh, to yeah they're so good uh yeah. but my favorite one is uh the big black guy yeah uh, oh yeah the, and my favorite line that he has is uh when they're all cheering on roy kent's first pundit appearance and the first one is like roy can't you fucking legend and the other one is the other one just makes some inarticulate cheering noise and then the third one is like i appreciate his candor like it's just such a good line he's just yeah it, he he this also that's also the guy that Ted's kid nails the dirt. Yes. <laughs> I tried so hard to find a gif of that. I was really disappointed that I couldn't find it. I'm gonna have to go make a gif of that. But mm-hmm. like, yeah, the yeah, he's just like a really nice guy and like Yeah. Don't humanize them. He's so sweet. <laughs> that that uh the the three jackasses in the bar are Baz, Paul, and Jeremy is the one yeah. you're talking about, the yeah. large Baz yelling at yeah, Jack. Yeah. Don't humanize them. Uh, and can I say I am severely impressed with the way I, I like any show that does this, but the, but Ted Lasso loves language. Every writer who writes for that show is willing to like just play around with the English language mm-hmm. um, where, you know, it whether it's Coach uh, Lasso and Coach Beard uh, joking around the word boots, you know, so if yeah. you uh, you're in coots with boot, with puss and boots uh, yeah. uh, playing loose for prostitutes and there's it's it doesn't have anything to do with the episode really it's just them having some fun yeah. 
and like Keeley like being surprisingly good at rhyming to make up headlines. Yeah. It's absolutely adore this kind of Yeah, thing. no, this is very much a writer's show. It's like the the I'm cute as a bu- I'm cute as a button and I can rhyme. No wonder they want to destroy me. Yeah. No, it's <laughs> I, I this show very much it's yeah, I like I said it's a writer's show. I think it was yeah. written for people the writers are writing it to their own desires and the fact that it connected with people really shows that like I mean it really shows that network TV hasn't just is fucking stupid and they they don't know what they're doing. Uh it's been consumed yeah. in its millions because there wasn't any option and people I'm going to get on my my soapbox here for a moment <laughs> and I promise I will be brief but people get all fucking as fucking if I swear I will be brief about this because this is a a well-worn soapbox. Uh, People get really fucking salty about the age of streaming. And they're like, oh, I got to pay for Netflix and I got to pay for HBO and I got to pay for Apple TV. And I'm like, motherfuckers, listen, I paid, I had an apartment and I paid $200 for fucking cable. And it was, you didn't have a choice of what you got. You couldn't fucking, you, you got everything. It all sucked. It was all garbage content. It was all, you know, did Hitler end the war with supernatural things on the History Channel and, you know, NBC. And that was it. That was all you had. And yes, a few good shows came out of that. But the ratio of like quality TV to absolute fucking landfill garbage. And then compared to how much you paid and your ability to like select for your content was offensively bad. And now And 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 not only are you paying, you're also watching the fucking commercials. Yeah, and you're yeah. watching the commercials. Now you have this, yes, there's a buttload of streaming services. And yes, I do wish that they would come up with a more clever naming convention than putting a plus at the end of things. It's fucking irritating. <laughs> but now you subscribe and unsubscribe to whatever you pay. It's monthly. You pay Six months, no contract. Six bucks a month here, twelve bucks a month there. I pay, you know, eight bucks a month or whatever for for Paramount, so I can watch Star Trek Discovery and yell about, you know, big alien people with sad eyes with Justin when whenever Discovery's <laughs> on, and then I watch, you know, this. I I have a Disney. I have Disney for Star Wars movies and and stuff for my kid and like. And the 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 quality, the average quality, because they are directly competing against each other, is so high. This is capitalism is fucking toxic for sure. But in this specific instance, it's doing what it's supposed to do, which is drive all ships rise. You know what I mean? Like they're all this is turning out to be longer. I was a liar. (laughs) Um, Big fucking surprise. (laughs) My point is just that. The age, stream, the age of streaming has produced unbelievable quality in so many places. So many of these streaming services are producing television shows of unbelievable quality. And you find something like Ted Lasso, which never, never would have gotten out of, never would have even been pitched. It never would have had a chance on cable or broadcast TV. It never would have had a chance. And here it's the biggest show on TV right now. It's it's demolished the Emmys and 
it's and it deserves it. And that's because if it turns out that if you take talented people and leave them to their own devices, they create quality content. Yeah, Who knew? Because and that's what's great about the streaming is there's if you have, you know, talented people, there's lots of places they can take their content. Um, it's not perfect. You know, it's not perfect, but it's better than what we had. So maybe don't complain about, you know, having to pay $12.99 for three different services. You know, you don't know how good you got it. I also I also feel like this is uh, I definitely agree with you. And like there's so many shows like Ted Lasso or Sense8 or just so many things that would not have existed 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, and She-Ra, like stuff yeah. that nobody expected to be as good as it turned out to be. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. At the same time, I also feel like. Ted Lasso is such a breath of fresh air from prestige TV as it stands right now. Oh yeah. I think we're, we're starting to get out of like the ditch of everything being dark and gritty. Yeah. Starting. <laughs> please, please. From your, from your lips to Lorian's weird extra long ears. Cause God help me. <laughs> I, I am so sick of everything being, dark blue filter toned and being grim dark. I'm yeah. Let Ted Lasso make everybody think that what we want is like kinder people on TV. What a fucking bizarre notion that would be. And you know what? One of the shows is that I think started to turn the tide is the good place because that's an absolute favorite of mine. Um, it's another show that managed to keep every season fresh um, had genuine heart to it and stuck the landing. And I, I love the good place. I think, you know, it's not, I think Ted Lasso is better that the, I like the fact that the people are kinder, but they both have that kind of genuine heart and are about people genuinely trying to be better than who they used to be. I had a couple of things that I'd like to talk about, hopefully. So the first is we've talked about the how the the kind of commercials where all this originated have such a different tone. And the pilot also has such a different tone. Well, that's to... just TV writing, I, in my opinion. That's like for for like that's how like I mean, just from like how it sort of progresses in television for like, yeah, I think it's like because your, your first episode is always going to be a rough cut because the, the time lapse you have between when you sell your pilot and when the rest of the series goes into production and like, you just have editing time. Uh, yeah. But I know what you mean. I it's, think that's, I read an interview after we talked about this last, uh, where they were talking with, um, a couple of the actors and with the, um, Zach Braff of scrubs who directed season, uh, who directed episode two uh, of season one. And there was a lot of commentary that he, his direction in season two very much kind of set a tone for how the F subsequent episodes were going to go. He kind of set a sort of, because the writing was all there. It's not like he changed the writing, but he, he sort of established some of the sort of visual and sort of, the beats to some of the episodes. Um, 
And a big part, and a lot of that was retained throughout the rest of the show. And I, I definitely feel like that's a big part of why the se- season two on feels very coherent in terms of like tone and rhythm in the way that the, the pilot does not. Ooh, you hear that Midwest? Oh, it does not. <laughs> um, and I think it's interesting. It's interesting because I think that that difference in tone is one of the things that helps the second episode stick the show. That for me, the, the moment where it clicked was that moment at the very end of episode two where you're watching Ted make the biscuits. That's that's when it clicked to me that this isn't just an act that he's putting on. This is who he is. And I think that, you know, in episode one in the pilot, we were seeing all of the characters kind of as their stereotypes are, you know, especially, especially Rebecca, Keely, um, and Ted. And then it's, I felt like it particularly worked for me because it's all these people are getting to know each other at the same time. So they're, you know, they're getting to see each other as we're getting to see them for the first time. And so it feels very genuine that as these like deeper layers are being revealed to us, they're also being revealed to each other. And it makes those connections feel very real. I also really love what they've done with Rebecca's art. Yeah, this was a great point. I really like that you called this out. Yeah, and specifically specifically the way that they they have developed it in the most re- in the most recent episode, the Christmas episode. The single best Christmas because, episode of any television show ever made. Absolutely. Because you you start out with Rebecca's arc and you kind of see where it's going to go that you know she's the ice queen and Ted's love and general humanity is going to warm her and she's going to you know degrinchify and all of the little children will get whatever mm-hmm. but then she does warm but there's this realization that it's not that she's always been a cold person who's only now just you know being shown that being a nice person is so much better is that she used to be a genuinely kind, giving person who's had that cut off by her awful, abusive marriage. And that it's not it's not that Ted and, you know, the events of the show are, you know, making her into something new. They're allowing her to rediscover who she is. Yeah. Yeah. Which I really love. And, it, you know, again, talking about subverting tropes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. Oh, yeah. And you get you get shades of that. And I forget the episode number, but it's the one where they go to Liverpool <laughs> and we meet her her friend, yeah. uh, Sassy. Yeah. And um, Sassy's like, this isn't Rebecca. You'll like the actual Rebecca, the one that used to be there. And she used to be silly. And she's a really good singer. And you, you've like find out all this like backstory about a character that up until this point you thought was a certain way and realize like, no, she became this person over the course of her marriage. Yeah. Um, and I love and talking about subverting tropes. I love the fact that they've got, you know, at that point, Rebecca and Keely are, you know, starting to become good friends. They're on their trip together and you introduce the old friend and any other TV show in the world. 
Keely and Sassy wouldn't have gotten along. They'd have been rivals yeah. for Rebecca's attention. No, within 30 seconds, Keely's like, I love you. This is great. You're the best. And they just pal around for the rest of the episode to get there yeah. and have a good time. And like, that is so good. And I didn't realize I hadn't seen it until that moment. <laughs> yeah, because I was so nervous when Sassy came on the scene because I was like, no, I wanted I wanted all these good scenes that we were going to get with Keely and Rebecca. And now we're not going to get that because now it's all going to be consumed by jealousy. And it's like, wait, no, it's it's better. I do. I do just wholeheartedly love episode seven season one which is just like it, i think it's like it's just because there's so much condensed in that episode yeah and it's sort of like it's where i think like this series makes a turn for like it, it's going to that home stretch of season one and it's just perfect like and there's just it, it's is that like you get a lot of characters who are progressing their dramatic arcs in there but you're also progressing like the procedural arc of the show of like them like advancing the idea of like the club getting the club becoming a better club, like winning mm -hmm. your first game in Everton in 60 years. Yep. Yeah. Um, and doing it without Jamie. Yeah. Yeah. Which is very nice. But yeah, it's like you get like a lot of, I, one thing that like stands out to me over the course of like episode seven and eight is how they handle the one night stand with Sassy. Um, because, it, like the the hang up like the quote unquote hang up on it is entirely Ted, which is which is like and like he's got a thing of just like I've never done anything like this before and I don't know how, and like he just he doesn't know how to feel about this because it's like you know it's but it's like it's a very real thing and it's never like there's never any like slut shaming or anything going on there. There's no yeah. there's no shame. Yeah. There's no stigma around any of it. Yeah. It's just. Coach Beard beating him up like, did you have fun? Did she have yeah. fun? And then the reprise in the Christmas episode or in the uh, in season two. <laughs> oh, yeah. There's, there's in that like what it can't even be a full minute. It's like 40 seconds that they're both in in her in Rebecca's office is so good. There's like three or four hilarious jokes in that scene. And yet the the you know, did did he talk like that the whole time? Oh yes, and so eager to please. Yeah. It was fabulous. <laughs> yeah. And Rebecca just being like, "Oh God, no, no I don't want to." Yeah, this. and then Rebecca spits out the 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 biscuit when she says that. It's <laughs> such a good touch. Um, which leads me to the question I've been trying to find uh, a segue for, um. After this is something I saw zero of on the internet before the Christmas episode. And then once the Christmas episode aired, all of a sudden, the Ted and Rebecca shippers came out of the goddamn woodwork. So, oh God. Well, so here I'm asking, what's do you have a ship on this show? And sub question, why is it not Ted and Rebecca? Because I respect if you, well, if, it's not Ted and Rebecca because I yeah. ship Rebecca with Keely. Yeah, there Same. you go. Yeah. Until, like, until the until the Keely and Roy ship showed up, and I was like, oh, I'm down for this too. But that was the one I was like, yeah, these two, I like them. That's good. Yeah. Uh, if it wasn't if it wasn't for the fact that Roy and Keely are like so damn good together, are they better than um, Sheridan Sheridan and Delenn? Is the question. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I mean, it was yeah. a rhetorical yeah. question. Of course. I'm afraid. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm afraid yeah no. So. It, it's. Um, 
partly because Keely does not have like this have like Herman her or her like extended family coming in and every like this is just where the point where we are in our coverage right now they don't have they don't have like Keely's extended family coming in every other episode to have Roy go through some new weird ritual <laughs> um which is just bizarre bad pod season four it's gonna be I'm gonna have words I'm gonna toss hands at JMS but like I mean it's it's great like I think like Roy he cooks her he cooks her dinner yeah and i mean like it's it's a thing of like roy recognizing that there are and this is something that i like i greatly like recognize and sympathize with people find like people finding a thing like keely finding his retirement speech and how open he is and crying and everything very attractive and roy's very uncomfortable with that initially <laughs> Because he's just like, I don't feel like, I don't like being that vulnerable with anybody. And, it, and then, you know, it, like, and working through that. And then, and then the end of season two, or episode two of season two, where he's just like, put in your headphones. Yeah. They're, they're great. <laughs> Let's do this properly. Yeah. yeah. They're great. They're uh, and I, yeah. And along, along that note, I love the, the way that the show plays it when Roy, um walks in on her having a wank yeah, right yeah that you know he's not shaming her or anything he's he's like amused and is like show me what you're watching because like i'll show you my porn if you show me yeah. yours and we should each know what gets each other going and i like i like watching couples do it in the woods because i could never be that free yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny I'm... so uh, um, i want to be clear here yeah i do not ship this but I think the show does. And I'll explain my logic. In the episode where they're banishing the ghost from the training room, Sam goes up uh -huh. to ask Rebecca to come down and she thinks he's hitting on her. There's a weird energy in that scene. Rebecca's way too into it. Rebecca is like, oh, no, like... Like, you you know, it's like saying, no, you can't hit on me. But she's, when he's like, I'm sure you get hit on all the time. Rebecca's real flattered in, an, in, in a potentially inappropriate degree. Um, and now in season two, they've set up that her, that Sassy's daughter, her goddaughter, is like obsessed with Sam. So I'm not, my thoughts I don't on want, this. I, I'm, like I said, to be very, very clear, I don't want that to happen, but I could see that being something they might. I don't know. Maybe there's rules against that in the Premier I don't, League. I, I don't know. I don't think that, I don't think they're like, they're going to push that, but I think it's a, I think it's a, a good character beat for just like, and it shows like first, like how upfront Sam is. And it's just like, yeah, he's sweet and earnest. And that that is part of what makes him great. It's an interesting thing of like, oh no, I I where he's just like, oh yeah, no, you're very attractive, but I I do not mean that. Which is just like I think is a fun way of avoiding a like of sort of like inverting like the yeah. some weird like office romance sitcom troops. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but at the same time, like you know, it's it's working with her like affirming that you know, she's not like a decrepit old hag that she thinks that she is. Yeah. 
that you know we've had Keely being like, "No, you're hot as hell. Look at those, look at those tits." Um, God, Keely, <laughs> fucking love Keely. And then Sam being like, "No, you you are very attractive. You must have many romantic propositions." I do sort of just like the show recognizes that uh, Hannah Waddingham is like just a Greek goddess. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, Does is. Is anybody else on this show, uh, on this episode, a, a coupling fan, or I is it me? Just me? It. Okay, I've not seen it. There's, there's. She shows up for a grand total of thirty seconds in an episode of Coupling, and I was halfway through Ted's Lasso before I was like, "Wait a second, I know her," <laughs> and just jumped up <laughs> out of my seat. Uh, but if nobody else gets the reference, I, I won't. <laughs> I couldn't believe the only thing I'd seen her in was Game of Thrones, which I think is where like everybody has seen her, uh, and I didn't even recognize her in it. But I guess she's like famous for uh, uh, as a London. Yeah, she's a West, West End. End musical person, uh, which is why she can like fucking destroy all those songs. Uh, those songs. Yeah, that she can destroy those songs they've given her. Damn those pipes. Speaking speaking of destroying songs, Coach Beard singing Lady Gaga. <laughs> That's so yeah. good. It's You've so got to respect the energy, though. Like he committed. Yeah. Which is absolutely what you got to do at karaoke. Yeah, which is like, yeah, it, it's because it's like the act of karaoke is you're not. It, it doesn't matter if you're a good singer. It's you got to sell. Yeah, got to get the crowd into it. Justin, Justin, can you say the thing? What, what's that? The 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 thing that slayed us the other day. God, hold on, I've got, I've got, to, I've got to like. You can celebrate the great Asian pastime of karaoke. <laughs> I hope that we get an ex that that Zathras excerpts that you. It came up in the middle of our last bad pod recording, and I absolutely goddamn died because you <laughs> nailed I, the accent that time uh, last we'll last to, week. Yeah, we'll to, and I just fuck. I I mean, I had to like stop and breathe. It was so good. A great Asian pastime of karaoke. <laughs> Well, wouldn't wouldn't he be Nate for this episode? No, Zathras is always Zathras. Zathras is always Zathras. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I do like how like it calls out that like actors and models do really stupid things, <laughs> or end up doing like really stupid things just for like, okay, we've got to make checks meet. Okay, I will I will do I'll record this in house video channel. Yeah, I love her face um, when when Rebecca walks in and finds her like staring at the TV. She's just gobsmacked by it. It's great. <laughs> Uh, do we have anything else we want to? I I have a I have a bit if people are willing to go with me on okay. this. Um, I want to hear everybody's predictions for the rest of season two. Oh, interesting. For like plot threads that are going to be like the plot threads that are being laid down yeah, yeah. that are going to be picked up. Mm-hmm. Okay, so here here are mine. Um, I have I have like a list. <laughs> <laughs> um, is that they are going to be struggling mid-table throughout most of the season. Um, I believe that there's going to be a thing where either, I think there's, like, first the first thing that we're going to need to resolve is the Jamie situation. Like, they're going to need to resolve that. I mean, I think they already have. That I think, I don't think they have fully, because the fact the fact of it was, was that Ted brought in Jamie even after he said he wasn't. Yeah. And that needs to be addressed in the show because Ted basically specifically Jamie Sam. Yeah. yeah J- Cause like Ted lied to Sam's face. 
Like he may not or, have or went back on his word. Yeah. Yeah. He went back yeah. on his word. I think that's got to be a thing. I think that there's going to be a thing where they are going to have to figure out like what unlocks this team, whether it's, we need to figure out how to get like Jamie integrated into the system or we need to figure out how to like make two players work together or something, or like we need to find some new tactic or something. And I think that is, and the, the last part of that is that I think there's going to be some deadlock with Ted that will need to be on, will need to be addressed with coach Fieldstone, whether that is a personal thing or a sports psychology thing, which I think is going to be interesting because from what we've seen of the show, Ted is not the tactical mind. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, that is entirely Coach Beard, but I think like there's going to be something that it's like either Coach Beard is going to come up with something and Ted's going to resist it, and they need to break that, or something's going to happen there that will get them to a point where they reach like fifth or sixth in the championship. They get into the playoffs, and like the last two or three episodes are the League One playoff or the championship playoffs to get back to the premiership. That is my, we have eight episodes left. We have like four hours of TV yeah. left. That's how it's going to break down. I think, uh, I don't have like any high level stuff like that. I think we're going to have to do something about, <laughs> I think about this way too much. I think there's going to have to be something to do with Nate's bullshit. Um, yeah, yeah he oh, needs yeah. to fucking chill. Like, like he is that, that, He's going way too hard in this whole, like, I suffered. And so this, this twerp. Yeah. You know. I think we've got maybe one or two more episodes before that comes to a head. Um, well, yeah. I, I can I get your prediction off of off of that one, which is that the lesson he needs to learn is how to encourage growth in other people. Yeah. Like he knows how mm-hmm. to be a hard ass already. And he needs to learn how to be Ted, basically, yeah. and learn how to like yeah. Encur- yeah. like that, that the the way to get the best out of people is to build them into something yeah. great, you know, Um. I think the other part that the only other real prediction that I've got is that I don't think they can keep Roy separate from the team for the rest of the show for the rest of the season there. I I think the, the point at which Roy re-intersects with the team is probably going to be fairly crucial. And whether that's, they bring him in as a coach or whether he, I don't know. I don't know what that's going to be, but I think it yeah. would have to be as like a coach. I mean, because yeah. I cannot see them. I can't. No, I can't see him. He won't be a, a player, but I mean, I don't know if it's going to be he comes in and gives them a speech they need, or. But I think Roy is going to. He can't stay away from Richmond for long. He has an emotional investment in that team and those and those people, and he's so obviously avoiding it that like mm-hmm. that has to be a thing. Yeah. I mean, I think that's really healthy for him, though. Um, like. I like I can see like the, the the thing of like where he avoided like the like the where his like only interaction with soccer was coaching a ju- coaching a kids team like I think that's healthy for Roy because it's like like proving he can live outside. The time away has been healthy, but as Ted already laid down the the hint for to deprive himself of something he loves because he doesn't know how to manage his relationship to it is not healthy. So yeah. he will he will have to reconnect to soccer. He's already started to re- reconnect to football. He will have to reconnect with Richmond at some point along the narrative arc and come back into the fold of the of the family. What exactly that looks like, I don't I'm not not quite sure what that would look yeah. like, but I I can see exactly how the narrative yeah. arc is is going in that direction to the point where he will solve some problem for that they have 
you know, fifth yeah. act of the of the of the in of the, the way season. that only Roy can it by treating them like children and swearing, yelling. The thing that I kind of see on the horizon that we got into a little bit with the you know the season finale with Man City is that I think that Ted needs to bring in somehow some of his strengths from American football in some way. He's been focusing too much on not knowing the game and not and not paying attention at all to any of the things that he does know other than like the team building type stuff like you know he's not yeah. knowledgeless about sports right and we see that when he does apply what he does know to the to the game he's in now it it works like they got really far with all of the trick plays at the end of season 1 so, so i you know, i think he needs yeah. to stop second guessing himself actually and you know start to think start to actually think outside of the box because you know that's kind of what was set up at the beginning of the season one of like, we're going to bring in this guy. He's going to think outside of the box and like, and it hasn't happened. And I think that Ted's stumbling on his own feet there. So I have a, I have a theory that it's going to, so this is my incredibly nerdy idea here that is going to go off of my earlier prediction because I think I found it. So there is a role in soccer called a false nine. Uh, basically, like um, it is a striker role, so like one of the for- like one of the forward playing players whose job it is to score goals. But instead of like trying to get ahead and score goals, their job is to facilitate and draw the defense out. Oh, it's gonna be Jamie. Yeah. yeah, it's gonna be Jamie. Oh. You're so right. And it's oh. and that's, that that I'm like I was just like thinking of that I'm just like oh, that works. That's because it's like yeah. Fuck. yeah. And him completing that arc circles off and ties off his narrative yeah, arc. Yeah, love that. In a, really, in a really good way. Yeah, absolutely. Where all he does is make the extra pass. That's his job is to make the yeah. extra pass. And then, and and really to, not just to like be willing to do it, but to find like, to be okay with it and to like find that that's like really what makes him happy. Yeah, you know? yeah to excel in it. To sell it and to be good at it and to enjoy yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah, yeah. If, yeah, that. I, I totally believe that one. The The other thing that I'm sort of like feeling is that I feel like I feel like Rebecca is focusing way too much on finding a new romantic relationship. Yeah, I was wondering about what they were going to do with that, because that's like been a big piece of her story so far. And I don't love it. And it's it's yeah. just in season two. Well, I mean, she has, she has, like, I mean, I think that might be, like, a growth out of something here, because, like, she, and she gets, she has, like, the first sort of, like, step in her opening up in episode seven is she sleeps with a random bar boy. <laughs> and I think that's, like, it's it's sort of, like, her step up, and, and I think that's, like, her group of, like, well, Rupert's doing it, I can do it. Also, I'm real quick, I'm going to post something in the Believe channel, which is perfect. Um, Danny Rojas threw out the first pitch at a Dodgers game. Oh my gosh. Baseball is life. <laughs> God, I would kill for that hair. <laughs> I have good hair, uh, but I would kill for that hair. A magnificent beautiful raven-haired golden retriever is right. But I, I'd love to see Rebecca like take a step back from trying to find a new boyfriend <laughs> and 
continue to focus on herself and her friendships more. And I think that, you know, maybe after talking to, you know, Dr. Dr. Sharon Fieldstone, maybe, maybe that'll be a step that she'll take because it's, you know, it really feels like she's trying to find something, somebody new because Rupert is. She, she feels like she's, she's going out and looking for that because she feels like it's expected that she would do that. Not necessarily because. When it's like, yeah. come on, Rebecca, just have a whole bunch of great one night stands. Like pick up, pick up those bar boys. I, I, I don't think that's where the show's going to go with it though. I think, uh, I think Roy's speech should be taken as an indication of what the show wants for Rebecca. And yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the writers said what they, what they're planning yeah. to do. Narratively, I would like for her to stop seeking this person and to let the universe bring her this person from a narrative standpoint. Yeah. Well, do we have any closing thoughts as we approach the two hour mark on this recording? <laughs> yes. Um, oh, poor Zarathus. Scott, we talked about te- you posted on Twitter about Ted Lassonos. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we I had- came up with two very good ones. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, what did I name my my Scottish physiotherapist? Uh, are these per- are these like explain the Ted Lassono for us? So basically, the idea is that you make a character within the AFC Richmond uh, universe. Okay. Yeah, it's you make up a you make up a character that's you know you're they're in AFC Richmond or maybe they're a um, uh, maybe they're an opposing team mm-hmm. or something. Okay. Uh, so I'll go first. I'll take I'll I'll, I'll bite the bullet. Uh, Finley Wright is an incomprehensible Scottish physiotherapist who works at the dog track. None of the coaching sketch staff know his name and won't admit it at first until eventually Ted cracks. <laughs> And then it, occasionally he will pipe into a conversation that nobody thought he was part of by just rambling off in Scots, which nobody understands until Higgins is the one to translate and nobody understands why. <laughs> that makes sense. Mine was Hunter Weston, uh, which is a very weird deep cut for my family history. Uh, the surly data analyst for AFC Richmond's one person analytics department. Um, they have a good relationship with Coach Fear, but believed a little too much in unorthodox strategies and forget that players are habit-bound. What? You can't run four strikers? Why not? Um, they are <laughs> a stealth, they, they are a stealth Richmond superfan. And they have a lair in what used to be their AFC Richmond chapel. Um, it has now been converted into a server room with a number of whiteboards. Uh, in place of the Bible on the put on the pulpit is a copy of Inverting the Pyramid. <laughs> See, I, I'm not sure if I need to come up with a specific, you know, person here when we have Laughing Larry to ask about. Because, like, or or the Milk Sisters. I need <laughs> to know more sisters. about the Milk Sisters. God, it's such a crime that we didn't get to see the Milk Sisters. I was so excited for, like, a half an episode of Milk Puns. And I was robbed. It's not even my breast yep. milk pun. By fucking Rupert. Um, Who, by the way, will never get that stuff past a judge. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think, uh, let me let me get back to you on that. I will respond to you on Twitter. I, 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 I feel like this yeah. deserves due consideration. I don't want to throw something out there. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Same. But there, there are so many, there are so many characters and there are so many people on that team who yeah, yeah. are just faces at this point. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's one thing that 
uh, Brenton had talked about in the interview I listened to of like that they created a care like most of the characters for the squad, and like they've they've cast most of them, but it's just they've never like they are all in like various like bit roles. Yeah. yeah. And people like Isaac just sort of like popped yeah. up. God, Isaac in the Christmas episode so good. Oh God, yeah the, oh, the God. Father Christmas throne. <laughs> the Christmas throne, so good. <laughs> And the like the ritualistic nature of like come up yeah. and and your and your secret or your secret Santa will reveal themselves. Okay, I have a very quick theory, which was uh, everybody hit, supposedly had gotten each other booze, and then uh, Jamie shows up and is like, "I need something to give my Christmas my Santa," and everybody was ready. Is it clear to anyone else that several other players had shown up earlier and also gotten the exact same treatment <laughs> from Ted and the rest well, of the like, dogs? Yeah, like a stack of <laughs> okay. like, absolutely. Yeah, there's like a bunch of booze in a in a box behind Ted's desk. And yeah, then a bunch yeah. of wrapping paper over by Keely. Yeah, all pre-cut. Yeah. <laughs> like, like yeah. why were why were they so prepared yeah. immediately? Yeah, yeah. I, exactly. I hadn't noticed that at first, but that makes total sense. That's really good. All right. Um, I think I think my favorite part of the Christmas episode might have been when they Ted and Rebecca knock on knock on the door, ring the doorbell. You know the the. Mom, there's two white people here and they're smiling. Yeah. <laughs> that's a good line. It's so good. That that's I I, I refuse to pick any part of that episode. It is Yeah. I, I refuse to call to to allow anything else into it it's the and into its level. It is the most perfect Christmas episode of any television show ever made. <laughs> and just just in general, the you know, the way that the show has handled like the the cultural aspects of colonialism and mm-hmm. et cetera have been real good. Like, you know, that that Sam will just be like, hey, I don't want to keep this little military dude. I, I like the sentiment, but maybe maybe I don't have a fondness for the American military. Thanks. Yeah. It's it's something I really yeah. appreciate. What do you associate with Christmas? Colonialism. Oh, yeah, yeah of course. <laughs> But, you know, and and this is one of the things that's great in that, like, Ted or Higgins, et cetera, never respond defensively to anything like that, is that they're really modeling good behavior for us. All right. Thank you, Scott, for coming on. This has been a joy. Yes. (laughs) Happy to. On, like, less than a week's notice. (laughs) I had enough time to rewatch the whole season. (laughs) I believe the... uh, the appropriate way to thank Scott would be to say that we appreciate him. <laughs> I appreciate you too. So any closing thoughts from anybody here or any last things or Jamie Tart do 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 Jamie Tart do do Jamie Tart. I think one of the most painfully earwormy things on on that show. I had that in my head for like a solid week after after that episode. All right. Um, I don't know when this is going up because that's Zathras. Um, and until next time, we're Richmond till we die. We're Richmond till we die. We wish sure we are. We know we are. We're Richmond till we die. You can tell who's watched that episode recently. <laughs> <laughs>
The rest of the show is licensed under a Creative Commons 4.0 share-alike no derivatives license.